Health Interdisciplinary, Heal Well's healthcare podcast about all the things that people don't want to talk about, but that are really important and that are happening right in front of us all the time. We're here to say the quiet parts loud, to make everybody just a little bit more uncomfortable so that we can all feel just a little bit more liberated. So here we are, uh, and I'm excited to be here with uh, some of my usual cohorts and co-conspirators, uh, Carrie Jordan, Rebecca Sturgeon, and uh, Corey Rivera. Sadly, we are without Laura Bryant-Erner. She's actually doing the work today, um, as is often the case in, in Laura's world. Uh, but I am also here to bring you a pun. I hope you guys are ready. What has five toes and is not your foot? Uh my foot. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's it's like one of those riddles where you know three men walk into a bar, the fourth one ducked. That's right. right. Like- <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, one of my favorite jokes is uh, "What's brown and sticky?" Mm-hmm. It's a, a stick. stick. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Oh, look joke. at us! Look at us blowing the wad, you, listeners. You just got like three for one on the podcast today. Uh, or, like a or, triple pun. One that I was just reminded of recently that I don't mind sharing is um, a priest, an imam, and a rabbit walk into a bar, and the rabbit says, "I think I'm a typo." <laughs> <laughs> he- <laughs> Oh, it's got grammar. It's got religion. And, uh, right? I mean, there's, there's <laughs> the some for animals. Funny. And, and animals. animals. <laughs> right. Oh. Here we so are. kids. Here we are. So today, we're, we're as we're sort of cresting the downhill slope to the end of season six, um, we're going to continue kind of ranting about massage education and things that that we can be um, doing better and things that we can be working on more in the profession. And I thought today we would do what I am unofficially calling the worst moth radio hour ever and um, (laughs) tell stories about our massage school experiences and things that that, um, we would do differently um, were it possible. To, to do them differently um, and tell you a little bit about us. And I wanna remind everybody that um, if you're not in the Hillwell community, please come and join us there because we are continuing these conversations there. Um, you are always welcome to give us feedback at podcast.hillwell.org or in the community. Really, we just had a great, wonderful conversation about the last podcast. Um, you know, and we appreciate when people tell us, hey, maybe you could do this differently um, and having that conversation in the community. So come and join us there at community.healwell.org. Um, and now let's hear some bad stories. <laughs> Who wants to start? I feel like you volunteered, Rebecca. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> your topic you gotta go yeah yeah that's true that's true i used to be by way of um delay i used to be in this running group um called the oh i didn't even remember what it was called but it was like slow runners back of the pack runners and the rule was i think it was panda the panda rule was she who suggests implements mm-hmm. and you know are they who suggest implement and that is it's fair I think a fair rule that, um, thanks Carrie for reminding me of that. <laughs> Get you for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking about this and there were a lot of things because I, 
not only attended my school, but a few years later went back and taught there. Um, and there were so many things from both sides. But the thing that, that keeps coming up that I still cringe to think that I did this, um, I had a, a teacher who told us one day that when people are in pain, they will touch their face. Um, apropos of nothing, I don't know, you know, when, when people are in pain, they will touch their face. And so if you have, if you're, you know, doing your intake with a client and they're touching their face a lot and they're saying that they're not in pain, you need to ask them again and dig a little deeper because maybe they are and they don't realize it. Um, and I am fully and completely embarrassed to say that I spread that nonsense to people. Um, you know, uh, and it took me a minute to be like, wait a minute, this is based on what exactly? Like maybe one person that you, and she never said um, what it was based on. And um, we never asked. You just kind of accepted it as, oh, right, this is a person who's been in the field for a while. So she knows things. Um, and so we must take those things and regurgitate them. It just as they are. Um, so that was my personal favorite, very embarrassing thing. And I want to apologize to every client I've ever had who just liked to touch their face. And I asked way too many questions about their pain. Did you um, just ask them <laughs> until they were in pain? <laughs> well, no, what That's I would fulfilling. do, what I would do is I would punch them on the arm and go, now are you in pain? <laughs> right, right. How about, right. <laughs> How about now? How about now? Can you hear me now? Or I, you know, they had their hand on their face and I would take their hand and go, stop hitting yourself. <laughs> yes. This, this totally makes me think of like, I, I feel like I, I must've read as a teenager, like in Cosmo or that kind of a magazine that when women want to have sex with you, they touch their hair. <laughs> and I mean, people must think that I am like a wild nymphomaniac because I never stop touching my hair. <laughs> See, just did it. <laughs> no, it just means my hair is dirty. <laughs> or like I, I touch my hair after I've cut it because it's fuzzy and it feels good. Right. Self-soothing. That's yeah. right. I, I remember when COVID first started and nobody knew anything about anything that was going on. And they were like, you need to stop touching your face. And I was like, I am so sunk. Like I'm done. <laughs> <Right>. Completely. <laughs> We're making that of this. No mm -hmm. way. Yeah. I wash my hands all the time. I touch my face all the time. <laughs> You're gonna have to hog tie me. You just get. Well, they should have like you know we had face masks, but they should have had like those Bill Lambeer like basketball protector masks with just like that. You know. <laughs> like, yeah. You can touch your face. Oh, geez, that's or right. Those, I'm not supposed those, to touch my face. Those little mittens they put on babies to stop. Oh, yes. Scratching yes. <laughs> themselves. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Do they make a human cone of shame? Yeah. There that you go. <laughs> Market. <laughs> Um, I feel like this is a, this is a really common a version of the story is really common. But I also want to say, um, and I feel like I, I want to be really clear because we we do sort of rag on massage education so much that there are really good massage schools. Yes. There are people who have been well trained to be massage practitioners. I I don't know that I would say those are the norm, but 
I am sure that there are school owners and there are people who have graduated from schools that are like, that didn't happen to me. Like, oh my gosh, where is that happening? It's happening in a lot of places, but, um, but there are places that are, that are doing it well and sort of reasonably. And you have, you still have kind of a lineage of people graduating from massage school and rapidly becoming instructors. And I feel like that's a, a big part of where a bunch of these things come from. But I remember at my school, which I, I think is among those, those schools that were like founded by massage therapists and sort of have evolved over time. And I feel like I got a, a really comprehensive and sort of transformative experience in massage school. And yet we had a, a class about what to do when your client gets an erection. And I remember the instructor saying, what you do is you say, I notice you're having a reaction. I'm going to leave the room. And I don't remember what she said we were supposed to do. I think she said, we're just supposed to leave the room and you let me know when I should come back. And like, so (laughs) I'm going to leave the room and you're going to masturbate. I'm going to leave the room. I don't know what the, but basically that if an erection took place, the massage should at least be interrupted, if not ended. And, you know, again, I was like, I don't know, this was almost 20 years ago. I was like, huh. I mean, that seems weird, but I don't know. I've never been hanging out with a stranger when they had an obvious erection and we're also naked. So, okay. Um, (laughs) But yeah. And I feel like there are a variety of stories like that, where the idea that you would just allow this autonomic response to take place as you continue to do your work, that was not on the table. And I remember it being a really fraught class and people having a lot of questions and like, I, you know, I will say this for the school that I went to is they handled that better than uh, my, I've heard from most of my colleagues. Like it, it, there was a very clear, um, yeah, so this is a thing that happens and it's usually not personal. And, you know, if you're concerned that it's personal, do what you need to do to find out if it is. And if it's not personal, you're not massaging around there anyway. So (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a compliment. It's like a, it's a, (laughs) the body is relaxed enough for this really natural experience to take place. So just move on, just keep doing what you're doing and everybody's going to be okay. That's to tell clients about farting. Right. And stomach growling. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? If somebody farts, you're going to be like, um, I'm going to leave the room. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I never. <laughs> There's a lady present. <laughs> exactly. I, this it says more about me than about my massage education that I have zero recollection of any of that being part of my training, good or bad. But oh, hair touching. It probably it's because I was just too busy touching my hair. That's right. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Looking for your next mark. <laughs> So speaking of marks, mm. oh boy, I yes. would say that that, um, so, so disclaimer, um, massage school was when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So like, there's a lot of things that I don't really remember, um, because it was a crazy time, crazy time. Uh, it was like directly in the middle of it. Um, but what I, so I, there's a couple of things I do remember. One is that, um, the teachers tried really hard. Um, one of them actually stopped teaching massage and being a massage therapist and became a science teacher, like in public school. 
Um, so she could always be counted on to be like, that's not true. <laughs> she was the one who usually pushed uh, metabolic waste. She was like, don't say toxins. Don't say, if you're going to say anything, you need to say metabolic waste, but you don't also don't need to say anything. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of like really trying very hard people. Um, the person who owned the school um, had a huge ego. Uh, they were one of those therapists that like made a hundred thousand dollars a year for a few years in a row by doing like 30 ish massages, high end sports craziness. Um, and were very confident in their abilities. Uh, and then there was like the money aspect. And so half of my experience was like, this is massage. And these are the great things we do for people. This is the great things we're going to do for each other today. And then like the other half of it was like, where's my money? right? Which was like a very confusing sort of like whiplash kind of feeling. Um, and they were <clears throat> very, and like, and, and I get it, schools run on money, like, believe me, I get it. But uh, it was just a very like night and day sort of thing to have happen. So it was like, here's the compassion and like, here's the commerce. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I too had what I think was actually a really good education. And it's funny, I have I have a couple stories about I actually almost went to massage school nearly 10 years before I actually went to massage school. And I went to an open house for the massage school I was first considering, which was one of like the most highly respected massage schools in the country. And part of the weekend long open house you had to go to before you were even allowed to apply to this massage school um, wow. was a panel discussion with massage therapists who some of whom were instructors at the school and others were alumni and people like that. And what I recall is that it was just a panel of nightmare stories about being a massage therapist, about physical injury, about like weird, you know, interactions about not making enough money. Um, and I didn't go to massage school because of that panel. Um, and because the massage school had a really regimented uniform and they set your schedule for you. And it was I, I, at the time, even though I was, you know, 20 something, I was like, I'm a grown up person. person. You can't tell me when to come to school. Oh, and I have to have a job at the same time. And I can't just go to school and not work. Um, and so fast forward many, many years later, when I ended up going to a different school, um, it, it was a much more loosey-goosey environment, and then uh, which I loved and really worked well for me. But then fast forward many years after that, when I was teaching in a, a totally different, a third school, I realized why it was a good idea to have a lot of rules because some of the students were not grown-ass people, actually. <laughs> they were very young, <laughs> um, and they really couldn't uh, sort of do massage school in the um, setting that I was fortunate enough to, to get to be in. But I had some really great teachers, and I one of the things that I really love about my school, which I know is kind of poo-pooed in the massage world a lot of times, is that we were required to learn energy work at the same time that we learn body work. So right from your very first term or classes in massage school, you learned 
Swedish massage, and you had to learn an energy modality, um, which I didn't want to do. <laughs> um, but shiatsu was one of those options as an energy modality, which I've always thought is kind of interesting. Um, and I learned shiatsu. And, but I think that I really learned deep listening, being still, palpating in a really subtle way right from the beginning of my massage education. And that's the thing that I've always felt like, you know, I, I wished more massage schools embraced earlier on, because I think we certainly see when we teach continuing ed classes for, for um, oncology massage or for people who are really critically ill, where much more subtlety is required <laughs> than we often use that, that we sort of like people who are excellent skilled therapists who've been in the field for years don't have those skills or have like are sort of learning those skills anew in our continuing ed classes. And I think that I feel really fortunate that, that my education sort of started from that place of deep listening and stillness and energy being a thing that was just kind of that this is going to be part of being a massage therapist. Like, sorry that you don't like it. Some people don't like the science classes. Like <laughs> those are also part of this. Um, so I think that that's pretty neat. Um, I will say though, that while I was having this great experience, the school I went to was small and privately owned by a couple. And um, the uh, one, one spouse was sort of the business person. They were not a massage therapist at all. They were an entrepreneur. And then the other partner was a, a, a energy and body worker person. And so that, that partner sort of ran the school, wrote the curriculum, like had put the whole thing together, but had zero clue as so many massage therapists do about business and money and how these things work. And just after, I believe I was there um, and possibly while I was there, the uh, business partner spouse was embezzling tons, all the money from the school and was having an affair. And wow. um, a few years after I graduated, um, fled the country with wow. another love with their lover and all the money. Um, wow. And the school had to close like suddenly. <laughs> um, so I felt like it was an interesting. It's just interesting to me that that was sort of happening behind the scenes. Um, and I, you know, I've always wondered. Did the instructors I mean, it was a very small school. Like, yeah. did the instructors know or have an inkling? Did people who worked, like, what was going on for, for the people who were, you know, like you said, Corey, like showing up for me as a student and working mm -hmm. hard and, you know, were they just like closing the classroom door and thinking like, oh God, <laughs> or were they, my resume in order. <laughs> or yeah. were they utterly clueless too? I have no idea, but it sort of feels, I don't know, like a good massage profession, you know, allegory, yeah. allegory exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder how like common that is. I, I, I am not here to say that massage schools are dens of iniquity or whatever. Um, <laughs> but there is a lot of hair touching going on. I'll just say you know, <laughs> that there. Um, it needs to be said. Yeah. Right. Scout massage day. Um, <laughs> But it seems like not just in massage schools, but I think in many places where 
particularly educational environments where it's it's kind of an intimate, intense environment. Because as you were talking, Carrie, I was remembering the school that I went to when I went there was in the process of being bought by a large entity, but was like this sort of, you know, uh, big ego, big deal school that was built on the cult of personality of one person who had started the school and wasn't yes. there anymore because um, they had uh, retired. But um, after I graduated, when I started teaching there again and was a TA for an instructor who had been there with the big deal person from the beginning through the transition and was still there when I went to go teach, um, it's like suddenly I'm a grown up and I can hear the stories about that. Um, <laughs> and she would tell me stories about how this person would, when they were teaching, always want to demo, like have the demo person be the attractive women in the class. Mm -hmm. And she would say to them, dude, you got to work with everybody. Um, <laughs> this is, it, this is, people are noticing. Um, but what, what was really interesting to me was that while I was her TA, she would, you know, come up to me and make comments about the people in the class and what they looked like and who yeah. looked good with their shirt off. And like, yeah. oh, this, this feels icky. And what was so icky about it is that she, she was a good teacher. Like she was able to teach all mm -hmm. kinds of people and get information. And then she didn't take shit. And, you know, she was um, rigorous, but kind, but also kind of a skeezy horn dog. You know, it was <laughs> so weird. Well, <laughs> I think this is a, you know, cause I'm thinking about the big spiritual centers where I've done retreats and things. Oh and the, yeah. The really complicated histories of, of this kind of behavior and just sort of how easy it is. I think because I think I'm going to lay it primarily at the feet of the lack of standardization that like each school has the potential to become its own sort of cult Mm -hmm. um, and whether it's a yoga school or a massage school or whatever it is that like the person who started it becomes the person who attracts people to it. And then the people who teach with slash for that person kind of all drink the Kool-Aid or the pure pro or whatever the, you know, whatever <laughs> the, the beverage of choice is and that you feel so at home and there's so much of a sense of belonging and there mm -hmm. is this sense of trust. And I, I feel like it's very complicated when you look at the people who sort of quote unquote lead these movements that I don't know that it begins at least in a nefarious way. Like it's like, I have figured this thing out. And again, like maybe someone told them they were magic, right? Going back to <laughs> episodes ago, like, and they feel like they are a healer. They are a person who has to bring their whatever to the world. And people want to have someone to follow and love and believe and trust. And it's really easy. I think to, it's a very slippery slope and it leads us to this place where we do go out and start telling people that if, if you see a client touch their face, they're in pain. And this person wouldn't lie to me, right? Like they right. have touched a lot of people and this is wisdom that's being passed down. And, um, you know, uh, it's a thing that humans do. Uh, and it definitely happens a lot in the massage world. And it leads us to this place where when we learn, like you were saying, I'm old enough to hear stories about dad, right? That like, mm -hmm. when we learn, oh, I'm not actually flushing toxins to, you have like the double-edged sword of this is new information, which my brain just doesn't like, 
but going against the old information also means going against this teacher that I love mm-hmm. and adore. And, uh-huh. you know, and so mm-hmm. it makes it even harder to be willing to embrace the truth of whatever gets revealed to you. Mm-hmm. So there was this office hours. And by the way, all listeners, this is why you should come to office hours in the community. Um, there was this office hours where it was myself and Meg. And um, we, we just talked about cults for an hour. Yeah. Um, yes. And um, Meg had all sorts of excellent resources for me to then go watch and listen to and read and stuff. And um, one of the things she mentioned was on Netflix and it's the Vox series explained. And there's a just like a 22 minute episode on cults. And they um, very clearly and very carefully break down what a cult is and how you can spot them. Um, and the number of steps that show up in my massage education and continuing education classes and conferences and like all of it, it was all of it. It was all right there. Um, and I was like, that's what they're doing. Okay, cool. So now if I want to start a cult, like I totally get what all the steps are and I've seen it happen and like, I could do this maybe someday, like rock on. All right, cool. Um, But it was a little like, Oh, Oh, Oh. So Hmm. what were, what were some of the things like, are you able to kind of tell us some some specifics um, I can, that or? If, if you guys want to chat for like two minutes then I can probably pull them all up okay um, so, so that I'm not misquoting yeah okay. I this is where again I feel like I don't think this is unique to you know because of course I used to be a yoga teacher I taught yoga teacher trainings and so I mean I have plenty of woo wackadoodle culty stories about mm-hmm. my yoga teacher training experiences but I also have spoken again to other healthcare providers who had teachers that were NVTS nuts, like, yeah. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yes. uh, and, and again, who had a cult of personality around them and, and certainly in, right. you know, in, in circles like academia in general, right. The more mm-hmm. published somebody is, yes. the more celebrated somebody is. And so again, I think this is a, you know, massage has the kind of funny woo edge to those stories. Mm -hmm. But I think that, I think this is a human, and and this is why cults work. This is a human issue, right? This isn't about massage therapy. I I totally agree and can confirm because I I left a PhD program to, you know, go through the securitist route that led me to massage school, um, can confirm in academia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's some um, really mind- screwing nonsense that happens. Okay. So here's the characteristics of a cult, according to the Vox explainer episode. Okay. Um, charismatic leader. Okay. Like, right, everybody okay. Agrees. Check. Um, mind control. Uh, there's various ways to do that. Not like hypnotism, but like, yeah. Mm. So, so, uh, okay. Yeah. Let's go through them. Cause I want to go back and like, cause I can, I can, I feel in myself like mind control. I don't know. That's a little, like, it's sort I of like the first time you hear white second. supremacy, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, not me. No, that's exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the third okay. one is exploitation, which I think we can all comfortably agree on. Probably. Um, so the um, methods of indoctrination. So elements. So for the first one is um, that you yourself are at a crossroads generally. So you're at some point in your life where you're looking for something else, you're waiting for something else. You feel like you've been waiting a long time. Crossroads. Here it is. Um, Yep. Step number two is the soft sell, right? Mm. Because we we don't want you to see the crazy immediately. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. That tends to go back. 
Yeah. So, so we talk about, you know, like how people have done really well in this program, whatever it is, and like how great it is here and the things that you can learn and the things you can learn about yourself and how lovely that will be. Um, step three is a new reality. So that's um, telling you how the world is a terrible place, terrible, terrible place. Mm-hmm. Step four is dear leader, which is when you start to believe that that personality is the one um, and is the person that you should believe in all things. Mm-hmm. Um, step four is the enemy where we absolutely turn you against everyone else um, as much as possible. Step five is peer pressure, which mm-hmm. we all know works. I mean, you've been a teenager and an adult. It works. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then step six is the sociopathic narcissist. So when you have figured out that dear leader is something else completely, actually. Mm. Wow. There you go. So I think as Hilo, we're doing pretty well in our cults. Yes. Uh, I think we're trying. I <laughs> yeah. mean, we might. We I definitely think we, have our soft sell down. I think we're pretty good at it. Oh, really? I was going to say yeah. we're missing it. I, I feel like since really? we, lead, we lead with crazy, it's a little bit. <laughs> maybe this is back our problem. We should back up a bit. Cal, can you reel it in? Yeah, yeah I'll, do, I'll do what I can. <laughs> I, you know. <laughs> we need. <laughs> yeah. Only if you, only if you want to. There. Oh God, the parallels. Um, well, I know, and right? I, but again, like this is, I think, and especially like the crossroads pit bit, like mm. that's when all humans are vulnerable to mm-hmm. anything, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could, I, I feel like you could talk about, you know, substance use or whatever <laughs> in that same context. Yeah. Pampered chef. Yeah. Yeah, MLMs, right? That's how they work. Yeah. That's when yeah. I sold my Cutco knives. I was at a crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, of it seems course like... you sold knives. <laughs> well, I sold, I sold two knives because those are the ones I really like. <laughs> I just I couldn't, I couldn't in good conscience thing. ask people to spend hundreds of dollars on a new knife block. So I would really go in hard on the trimmer and the spatula spreader. Oh. Yeah. So we'll have a, we'll have another episode about that. But yeah, I, I, I do. do indispensable kitchen tools. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're right up there with like your effleurage and your petrissage. Like you can't, <laughs> the basics, you can't cook yeah. without Solid. these knives. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but let's talk about this mind control situation. Unpack yeah. this for us, Corey. Um, okay. So the mind control talked about, so part of that's the peer pressure. Um, part of it is, convincing you that you are wrong and you need to let somebody else think for you, um, mm. that e- your every instinct is incorrect. Um, mm. And be, so, right, because that's why you're at a crossroads and that's why you're in trouble and that's why nobody likes you and that's why <laughs> whatever the reason is, is because your thought process is wrong and our dear leader's thought process is correct and you need to make sure that you are following that one. Um, and that's I, promising people answers. like. I would say that's the one thing Hewell is really good at not doing. Like we have no answers. <laughs> we have no idea. That's true. We got nothing. That is true. Come and be we with us in our not knowing. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, but but being promised answers. And I think, yeah, like you said, yoga school, massage school, like medical school, whatever the school is, that that's their job, right? Is to give you answers. Is to, that's why you're giving them money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're giving them money, their answers better freaking be correct. Well, and I, I wonder, uh, there, gosh, this is like going to be a three-hour episode because uh, 
I have so many wonders in this exact moment. Um, one of them is the is the seduction of being a teacher, and that um, and that that quick turnaround from. And I know that schools are really trying to move away from the straight from graduation into the classroom type progression because we know that that has gotten us nowhere good. But to be to be the henchman of the of the charismatic person is seductive. You want to be on the inside. You want to feel like you know how to speak the language that you're trying to teach the students. And again, not unique to massage, but because we struggle to really standardize the way that this information is delivered and sort of, it really is kind of up to the ethos of each school, how they want to package their approach to the nervous system, their approach to the physiology, their approach to what happens when somebody gets an erection, that it's wildly variable and also really lends itself to, gosh, like, cause you, you go out from massage school to your friends who aren't massage therapists. Nobody's talking about the things that you're learning in massage school. So if you really want to go in those places, you have to go back to school. You know, when you go to school on Tuesday and Thursday, those are your people because they're really into what you're excited about and they get it. Whereas like people on the outside are still like, wait, so, uh, I mean, I still, we still have people come to our continuing ed classes telling us that they graduated massage school in the last handful of years and that their family is still like, so why are you a sex worker? And it's mm -hmm. like, wow, these things are totally different. But yeah, if you want to, if you want people who get you suddenly, the most important thing about you is this thing. So you go to the other people who are becoming that thing also. Mm -hmm. That, it, that reminds me of a story when I was in massage school, um, my friend and I lived, we lived on the same train line, right? So we'd take the train home together at night. Um, and it was like the night that we had learned about upper cross syndrome. Uh, mm. um, <laughs> well, I'm the only person at this party who doesn't know what you're talking about. Oh, God. that's okay. It's, it's, that's it's like, the, it, yeah, it's like this fake syndrome where forward head posture shoulders rolled in and I forget what the third thing was um but uh, so we, we had learned about that and had learned about like forward head posture and how common it was so we're standing in line we're waiting for the train to come into the station and there's like all these commuters right all these people who are standing in line sort of weary at the end of the day and we're both like look there it is forward head posture forward and we were just like in this moment of, oh, we know this thing about all of these people that they mm -hmm. don't know. And it's yeah. magical and wonderful, you know, and it, it's very and seductive. Fix it now. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know what to fix do. Fix it. Yeah. I could, <laughs> if we could just tell them about their scalings. You know? <laughs> I, say I tell people that their scalings hate them and that's just kind of how it is. Sorry. <laughs> it's not personal. It's yeah. not personal. Yeah. It's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it, it's really seductive, especially if you have like someone who yeah. is like in the circle with you. Yeah. Um, but I think what that also does is I, I think that there was a, a period of time in my early career, and I hope that I have grown out of this, where I was really smug, you know, and, and like just insufferable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is my other wonder, right? It's like, you know, and maybe maybe you guys will fire me after this because this is like we're gonna go down this like epistemological rabbit hole. But <laughs> this is the like so this conversation we had in the community about the last episode that mm -hmm. there are 
people who would argue that he well is smug, right? Mm-hmm. That we mm-hmm. act like Absolutely. people are stupid for saying toxins and for saying that massage increases circulation. And I think mm-hmm. the thing we missed was that it's mostly sad because it's not people's fault that they say those things. They were mm-hmm. taught those things by people they paid money to that they trusted to teach them to do a thing and be a thing. And what we're saying is like, we have to keep learning. We have to keep wondering and that we don't do that. But at the same time, you know, when we think about like, you know, I always, <laughs> I always say that jokingly, like it's easy to believe Buddhism because it's just true, but <laughs> like, <laughs> right. But I, I'm sure Christians would say that. I'm sure Muslims would say that. And like, so, you know, for me, I'm unable to see around like impermanence is the truth. I can't see a way around, like that's not a belief. It's just a, an immutable fact of the universe. So I don't even believe in impermanence. I just recognize its existence and allow it into my understanding of the world, right? And so when we're teaching in massage school, we're saying, I believe that the blade of my ulna can lengthen the ITB. And since I can't actually be in there seeing what happens, but my client actually says their hip feels better or their knee feels better, I believe that what I think I'm doing is what I'm doing. So I am telling you the truth of what I don't realize I just decided, you know? And so how how do we like go back to sort of the philosophical roots of what is truth and how do we teach that knowing that we're also teaching people how to be with people who are real squishy and nuanced and complicated. Yeah, it's, I, I, have, I have a flip answer to that, but it's not really flip. Um, we teach critical thinking. Like this is um, what I think there was, was lacking in many places. I had some instructors who were good at this, um, but m- many who were not um, yeah. at teaching and encouraging critical thinking. And I had the advantage of being older. So having been through, you know, academia and stuff it was kind of baked in a little bit but yeah I have, a, I have a question about that actually yeah how do you teach critical thinking oh my god I knew you we don't have answers here and we totally will um I I would like to say that if you read thinking fast and slow which I have and you really should because then I'll just start shutting up about it finally um there's a a point where they talk about um, re- information retrieval and how mm. you don't know whether what you are retrieving is a memory or a, like a real thing, mm-hmm. right? Because you can argue that memories aren't real things. Mm-hmm. Um, so your brain has no filter for this is a thing I learned and this is a thing I just made up. It, yeah. mm-hmm. th- there's no catch, like yeah. nothing. Nothing is going to warn your brain that you are imagining this. Mm-hmm. It's just real. This is This is my personal Achilles heel. Um, I don't know where I picked this up or learned this, but if you just answer a question with confidence, people believe you. Uh, and I, I will, I am the first to admit I have many times a day, I catch myself confidently answering questions. And then some tiny voice in my head says, you don't know that. What are you saying? Like, what is that? Um, and I really, I, I don't know why this happens to me. Um, I, I think that another human 
characteristic that I will cop to is it's real nice to be the smartest kid in the room. Yes. Um, and, and to feel like, you know, things like just knowing things is really seductive and, and important. Um, and, and I, I feel like for me, the thing that I try to anchor to besides the sort of very obvious, like, wait, how do I know that? Uh, take a beat and and ask yourself that. But I remember, uh, I think before I was even a massage therapist, I think I was still uh, uh, only teaching yoga. Um, I studied with, I started studying with Tom Myers and I, I did a lot of work with Tom Myers. Um, and I, I know I will recognize the complicated nature of that <laughs> um, and the cult of personality and all the, the things we can say about Tom Myers. But one of the things that he said in one of the first classes I ever took with him that just was like a lightning bolt to me was he had, had, had this line about how, and basically what I'm teaching you may not be true. Mm. Like, this is what we think right now. This is what I think from what I've done. Mm -hmm. But, but he said as a body worker, and I would argue as a human, he said, if, if, every moment of your life, you don't look back and think, oh, I should call everybody I ever worked with five years ago and give them their money back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then you're not doing your job. Like you, you are not progressing. You are not actually really being in the work. And that, I, I think that's really powerful. And it's something I really try personally to keep at the forefront of my brain. Um, I mean, I think he said it, that's my memory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I just made it up right now. Um, maybe I'm the genius, That's uh, it. <laughs> but for me, it, I, I get it. It's, it's real easy to just say shit and it's real easy to believe shit. And, and I think that even the stuff that we quote unquote know, or that is empirically provable is empirically, empirically, empirically mm-hmm. disprovable, right? And so, you know, everything might be a lie. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's that impermanence again. Uh, well, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like when we ask, like critical thinking is also a, a pair of words that has lost their meaning in, I'll say in the massage profession, I don't know if this is true in other places, but that we think that critical thinking is a way of getting at the truth of like getting the ground back under our feet mm-hmm. when in actuality, it's about continually saying, why do I believe this? Why do I think I know this? Like, how, what, what actual evidence do I have that I'm sort of learning something new or that like, it's really about remaining porous and remaining willing to disbelieve something that you very passionately believed moments ago so that you can show up to what's happening here. I love Gil Headley. I feel like models this regularly and in the most recent fascia summit with abmp you know him talking about you know we've been (laughs) we've been calling superficial fascia a sponge for like 20 years and he's like well hell i can't call it that anymore right and he's not like freaked out and ashamed about it he's like this is amazing i've been saying the wrong thing for 20 years and now (laughs) now i'm gonna tell you why why it was wrong right yeah yeah quietly to myself while there's a camera on because yeah. <laughs> that's how he rolls. That's right. how he rolls. <laughs> totally great. Yeah. But you know, but the world doesn't like that. I, I remember when when he 
when he first came to his sort of revelation that the fuzz speech that Mm -hmm. he had given wasn't what he thinks is now happening, people were so mad. You know, people like he and people still hold it up as like, oh, well, but then, you know, get your ass in the lab. I didn't, I didn't see you there, you know, reflecting cadavers and layers of tissue. Well, that's it. That's it, though, isn't it? Like, I think that that there's a it's not a laziness, but there's this willingness to kind of let the smart people do the work for us. Mm-hmm. And and that, I think, is what is missing. And, and what I I don't know that I was very good at this when I was a teacher either. Um but what is missing is is the kind of no nah, man you figure it out let's I I'm here to support you but you figure it out you do the work yeah yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know that there's time for that like that's it that's yeah. part of the problem right so yeah, I sure. I taught anatomy and physiology for two semesters at a community college for massage therapists mm-hmm. um one the college did not think highly of the massage therapists we were in the basement so let's start there um but two both like, logistically and philosophically. Yeah, you were <laughs> telling me hit that little elevator button. Yeah. Um, I walked into a class that just wasn't written and nobody knew, like nobody had checked. It was just gone. Um, and I had to teach these kids, as I say kids, like some of them were 40, right? Um, but I had to teach these people trying to find a new profession, anatomy and physiology in 17 weeks. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got what? 17 weeks? What 17? a luxury. I know, right? I know, right? I got 10. I got 10. Um, yeah, I know. 10 was like <laughs> um, yeah. 17 weeks. I mean, six, 16, whatever. So that was like a test every other week or something ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, and wow. like, there's no time to teach critical thinking of anything because like all I could do was continually introduce new terms to these poor people in order to get through the content. Like... Well, and I, I wonder though, if this is a case like, you know, when we're working with other healthcare providers who are sort of c- coming to the importance of compassion and presence and them saying like, I don't have time to do what you're talking about. And it's like, it doesn't actually take more time to be compassionate. And I wonder if this is also a place where as we're teaching anatomy and physiology, we're saying 30 years ago, we thought this was true. And now this is what we're teaching. And like, if we continually point out the progression of information and that like what I'm, and really say, this is what we think right now. Right now, this is what's published in the books. If we look at books from 30 years ago, you'll see that there are different things like, you know, Gil again was talking about the pyramid Alice and this, you know, (laughs) muscle that maybe some people have in their lower abdomen. And I never heard of that muscle. It was not in any of the books that I had looked at. Um, I don't think, I mean, here, I don't think Gil would lie to me. But I don't know. Right. I trust Gil. He seems like a trustworthy guy. Um, So, you know, I think that we could. It's not a unit. Right. It's it is a it is a thing that we just put into the way we talk about things that can appear factual. Yes. And yes. And yes. And I think your privilege is showing because you went to massage school as somebody who had been to college, um, right. Who, who yep. had worked in, been in the world and you, you are a very smart person, um, and a quick learner and you are a person I, I know very well, um, who will 
research and crowdsource any question that comes their way, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true of everybody. And to my mind, one of the tricky, trickiest parts of being a teacher, both for continuing ed, but certainly in foundational education for massage school, was you are not dealing with it. There's no... There's no standard background that right. your students are coming to you with. I had students who, I had students who were finishing their GED at the same time they were going to massage school. I yeah. had students who had advanced degrees. I had students who didn't. You know, I had students who were retired and had already been in the working world for forty years. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't, I don't know that you see that as much. I mean, certainly people go to medical school at all ages, but there's a, a foundational education you have to have before you get to medical school. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. while there will always be sort of differences in people, I mean, I, I actually taught st- a student who was functionally illiterate in massage school. Yeah. Done that. yeah. And so to say, oh, I'm going to introduce this like sort of maybe this will be wrong. Maybe that, you know, I'm really just trying to get this student through. And let's be honest, I'm trying to get this student to a place where they can pass a standardized test. That's it. To a certain extent, we're always teaching to a test. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and then add the pressure that again, I'm sure exists in all kinds of schooling, but Rebecca and I both worked for different schools that were bought by the same mega conglomerate um, and both worked there when this transition was happening. And I was in a staff meeting where we were told in these words, no student fails. A student fails because a teacher failed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, what, what do you do with that? (laughs) We weren't, we weren't told that, but I would, I, I can, I remember teaching a class that was a prerequisite for another class and having a student in the initial class who failed the class show up yeah, in yeah. the next class. And that's, well, we've, that's a whole other conversation about, I think we've, we've talked about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the ways in which some massage, massage schools are actually stealing the money and time and resources. Yeah. Well, and I, I think we should put a pin in an episode about uh, how do I want to say this? Because I appreciate your um, your comment about privilege, Carrie, and I want to. This is a place where I feel like this is this is a big um, stumbling block for us as a profession because mm-hmm. massage is a profession that could, should, and needs to welcome people who don't necessarily have that foundation of education. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, like there are, there are professions where you can kill a person if you don't understand chemistry or, you know, um, but I think that we can and need to, as a profession, figure out how to continue to be a place where people don't have to have an arm, you know, a laundry list of prerequisites to be able to be successful in massage school and what does that look like? And, you know, I I think about, I think about the, um, the Patreon episode we did about um, the cartoon with the bodies. No, the cedar. Oh, cedar spores. Cells at work. Cells at work. Cedar pollen allergy. (laughs) That, That, you know, like, I think that there are 
com- complex concepts about the body that could be made into metaphor, that could be made more accessible to people in a way that relates to what they do. And I think that we need less nerdy people actually maybe teaching some of this stuff or nerdy people who are willing to be creative to say like, it's not important to me that I sound smart. What's important to me is that you actually understand what I understand about the endocrine system. And we're going to turn that into whatever we have to turn it into for it to matter to you in a way that translates into what you do with your clients. And I feel like that's a whole nother conversation about what our challenges are in terms of how to create education that keeps this an accessible profession that also belongs in the healthcare space. It's time and money. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Time and money and teacher training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, any, uh, any other stories hanging out there that are dying to be told here on the super secret squirrel stage? No. <laughs> Can't think of um, any. Okay. Well, thanks you all for being thank, here. Thank you, Rebecca, for the trip down memory lane. Indeed. <laughs> 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 Oh, or is goodness. it factual lane? You'll have to <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, right. Mm. I have no idea. Right. That's right. You know, the, the constant is impermanent. So who knows? Um, Fab- fabrication station. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Well, I, I, I think we should, we should sign off because I need to call every client from the first 10 years of my career and <laughs> right. say, yeah, sorry. that's going to take yeah. a while. It's going to be a minute. Um, <laughs> um, but thank you. We are continuing this conversation in the Heal Well community. Please join us there. Um, please send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. Tell us your story. Send us a voice memo of your stories. And if you're willing to let us play it on the podcast, let us know. Um, because we would love to have your voice as well. Um, And we'll be talking at you next week. Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks, y'all. Love. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, And you can... Send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.